Are you seeking to broaden your horizons, to stay relevant and become future fit? Do you want to fuel your creativity and inspire innovation? Or are you simply looking to put the kapow back into your business? Then look no further. Join Carmen Murray, entrepreneur, innovator, and tech fundi with her big personality and presentation style as she interviews celebrities, alchemists, newsmakers, and business experts to discover the stories behind their success. The Carmen Murray Show will open your mind and help you turn knowledge into magic. Let knowledge be your superpower. And now, from Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray. Hey, Future Fit Tribe, welcome to yet another episode. I am super excited. I've got one of my dear friends here. We've been walking a journey together, being advocates for change and trying to be change agents and keep corporates up to date with what's happening. And boy, oh boy, is there a lot going on in this world. But before we get started, I have to tell you quite a lot about Bronwyn. Bronwyn is a, a futurist. She is a trendsetter. She dresses like a queen. She's got like this taste that I cannot explain, like almost burlesque love. Anyway, I tried to pull it off. It didn't work for me. Another thing is that she is also an author and she just um, recently um, wrote a book and she can quickly um, also just guide and tell us about that. She's an economist. She specializes in finance. There's so much that this woman does that I cannot keep up. So maybe, Bron, if you can just give us a little bit more um, context of what's been going on in your life recently. Yeah, exactly. So I'm a futurist economist and trained analyst, as, as Carmen has said. And that means that basically I get to sort of play with the future, generally with businesses. And that's a lot of the sort of future space. And in order to do that, we try and track trends because trends are, don't dictate the future, but they do give us an indication as to where we headed if we don't decide to change course. So a lot of my work does involve getting people to rethink about reclaiming their agency, which I think is one of the biggest problems that our world faces at the moment, that all too many of us sort of defer our agency or trade it off or palm it off onto some sort of authority or other or they. And getting people to claim that back is very, very empowering, but it's also the only way for us not to end up in the sorts of futures that the trend lines predict. And I'm also an economist by training, and that's my other job. So my sort of side hustle is turning very quickly into like quite a main hustle is I'm now currently the acting chief operations or commercial officer for a company called Carbon-Based Lifeforms. And what we are doing is we are building new ways to both play and work by looking at the play and earn gaming economy, tying together a whole lot of the technologies, the social trends, the economic trends that we're seeing into quite new ways. So some of you might be familiar with like the game Axies Infinity. That's not what we're doing. We're doing something <laughs> similar. It's only similar by name, but not by nature. So watch that space that's going to be coming online literally over the next few months. But it's a very exciting place to be in the sort of straddling the divide between the real and the virtual and the past and mm. the future. It's just exactly the place where all of us should be excited to be. Yes, no, definitely. I mean, we all, we all should be excited about that, but there's also so much change happening within the cultural landscape. Apart from trying to, to live in the hybrid world, and um, we've got the metaverse that is going to shape the way that we do and how we interact with each other. But something that I want to also unpack with you today, um, in alignment with the, the hybrid 
work environment is the great resignation. Now, this was a term that was founded by Alphony Colts, and he's actually from Texas and specializes in organizational, organizational psychology. And he identified this great resignation that happened since the pandemic, um, starting to see people leaving organizations because they are burnt out. A recent poll that's currently trending on, on LinkedIn has shown that over 44% of people have left their jobs because they feel burnt out and they don't feel that they're living their purpose. What is your, your take on the great resignation and specifically how is this going to impact corporates as well as the economy? Yeah, so there's a couple of ways we can look at the great resignation. There's both sort of demand and supply drivers that are moving us to this point. So on the sort of demand side, we have seen for a large proportion of people on planet Earth, we are facing a crisis of meaning. Those of us that are lucky to have jobs are quite often working in, pardon my French, bullshit jobs, jobs that yeah. mean nothing and don't actually add value to society, but they do pay the bills. So it's very performative. Again, to come back to the concept of sort of like that play to earn gaming again, a lot of the sort of jobs that are coming out of that playing to earn space are once again bullshit jobs. It's just sort of grinding through the process in order to sort of pull out some money, performing these performative tasks, whether we work in the knowledge economy as, you know, well-paid white collar workers or in the very industrial economy, just like, like, little Charlie in the chocolate factory, his father that used to screw the toothpaste caps on so that used toothpaste <laughs> tubes. Those are largely sort of meaningless jobs. They don't feel like you're adding value to society. They're certainly not adding value to the worker's life. But a lot of us do them. And this cuts across all slices of society, from the very rich down to the very, very poor. Eventually, you sort of wake up and realize that the only real scarce resource that we have is our time. And if we're spending our lives, the majority of our lives grinding through a job, it's not actually adding to meaning or adding value to society in a way that we feel valued. Because value is not just about the sort of paycheck you bring home. It's also about feeling valued by your peer group and by your society. So when that breaks down, we sort of have to have a crisis of meaning and think about what we're going to do with the rest of our lives. And what sort of COVID and lockdowns have done for us has given a lot of us both sort of, un, even though it was unintentional, even if we didn't want it, we were sort of forced to sit in our homes during lockdown and really think about not just our lives, but also about our mortality. Because we were faced with mortality. We were faced with the fact that COVID has taken many years of lifespans. I mean, South Africa's male lifespans now are now below 60 years again, which was, we just got over that, you know, so... When you get to that point, we were faced with this, this uh, impending mortality. We were forced to sit and reflect on that. And that made a lot of us think, hmm, maybe I shouldn't be doing this meaningless grinding type job. Maybe there's something better for me. And that's on the demand side. On the supply side, a lot of us were enabled to do that by very generous government entitlements. Again, those entitlements were a bit unfairly distributed across society, both geographically and sort of socioeconomically speaking. But a lot of people were effectively paid to not work for quite a long time. A lot of people that worked in government jobs had very generous furlough packages. A lot of people that were lucky enough to live in countries like the United States that has the sort of monopoly on the reserve currency and are able to indulge in those sort of generous payouts, indulged in things like helicopter money drops, giving people 
quite a lot of money, much more than this average sort of South African wage, let alone the, the minimum South African wage, to literally sit at home. And suddenly being able to sort of live off this temporary kind of universal basic income package allowed people the luxury of quitting meaningless jobs, which a lot of people did not have the luxury to do that before. It is worth bearing in mind that this whole concept of the Great Resignation is a luxury, and that is definitely what we have seen. That comes up with another very big emergent trend that's come out of the pandemic and lockdowns and the sort of perpetual crisis we find ourselves in now. And that is an increase in variance in society. In other words, an increase in both the very good and the very, very bad. So people that are able to find themselves on the, the nice side of this equation, that were able to have the luxury of quitting their jobs with generous social safety nets or nice payouts from their bosses or the luxury of relying on savings, have taken the opportunity of reflection to choose to exit the workplace or to at least restructure what work is going to mean for them in the future. But it would be very disingenuous for me as a South African not to mention the fact that at the same time there are many people who are desperate who would do a lot to get any job at all. So these trends are not perfect. It's not only pulling in one direction. There is mm. a different direction here too, where a lot of people are hungry for work, even for that grinding type work, because the very ability to be independent is also something that adds to meaning in our lives. So you kind of have these different drivers going on with different strata of society. But the great resignation is a, is a very big middle class and middle class plus trend we have to take aware of for those reasons, both those demand and supply reasons that I've highlighted or really summarized here today. But there are other things at play too. And that is the, the, the fact that a lot of people not only are looking for jobs, but there are also a lot of people who don't have the luxury of remote working or the jobs involve face-to-face -face contact. And we know this too. It's another one of those separating variance type things that we've seen, the difference between essential and inessential workers. And it's also worth noting that the Great Resignation is largely taking place in the inessential yet overpaid structure of society. Yeah. So look, I, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. One thing that I have learned is there's so many different lenses. You cannot look at this world through one lens and one perspective. We did research study on youth development and, and trying to unpack the unemployment rate and trying to see how we can solve this co complex problem and reimagining South Africa. And one very interesting insight that we found is that we found a group of young people that actually have qualifications and have left the corporate world and decided to rather live poorly and live in the township, horrible life, but that it's not at the expense of their own well-being. And that's a bold stroke. I mean, that is like, no more, I'm not going to go ahead with this. This is not going to happen. I recently also did a poll on on my um, um, account just to understand, you know, what's what's happening. And one of the things is 22% have, have resigned already. 18% is resigning soon and only 45% said that they're not resigning and 15% said they're changing careers. Now, being an entrepreneur, 
and I'm sure that you would agree, it's not an easy environment. Everybody thinks it's very sexy and it comes with all this beautiful, you know, opportunities and all you think is Richard Branson, Oprah Winfrey. But unfortunately, the reality is it's a 24-7 job. It's no longer just working um, nine to five. I mean, that's that's the reality. But one thing that's very important, I think, that also that what we need to take um, note of is Kubler-Ross model, the change curve, speaks a lot about when people go through change. And I actually want to, to reference a quote that I found very interesting is that nothing is so painful to the human mind as a great sudden change. And now people have lost not just their psychological resilience, but they also lost their psychological capital. They are facing all of these things. And what we are seeing is that when you go through change, you go through all these different emotions in the change curve from denial, anger, shock, frustration, panic, stress, and then chaos. And then when you're in that chaos stage, this is where you evolve as a human being. You're either going to accept and find a new way to be creative and to stretch yourself into a new environment, or what you're going to do is you're going to do the mass exit. Now, studies have shown us that the mass exit is between, um, it's, uh, the majority is 35 to 45 years old. And then we're seeing 60 to 70 year, year old people um, leaving. Now, that is obviously the people that extend beyond the youth. So it still doesn't ad address the youth unemployment rate as much. But there's this thing of new beginnings. And 80% of people in a recent uh, research study uh, online said that they are starting side hustles. They are starting businesses. So this is going to be become the backbone of our economy. I do think that people are going, we have to um, look at different ways to bring in revenue, but also mental well-being has been one of the biggest searches online last year, 2021. And one of the biggest things that fascinated me was people were searching more online for the whole of last year globally, how to start a business rather than how to find a job. So what is your perspective on how that plays a, a role in the, this whole new great resignation? Yeah, well, let's go back to what you were saying earlier about like periods of chaos. I mean, you can kind of summarize how you respond to chaos or to crisis. And it's generally either sort of flight or, or fight sort of mechanism kicks in. And I spoke quite a lot about this last year, the concept of postalgia kind of being stuck in the kind of present. And that's almost like the, the flight response where, where you actually just sort of retreat from society. And it comes back to the young people that you said in South Africa too, who are opting not to work because they'd rather just stay in their current socioeconomic conditions, even if it's not particularly nice. And that's a global phenomenon, particularly among young people and the Generation Z or kind of born free demographic. The term for it is now this sort of lying down flat protest where you do the minimum required to survive because you're just not prepared to sort of opt into the, the treadmill of the, of the society that you're on or to do a job that you feel is beneath you. And that is a bit of a retreat. So that's, that's perhaps the, the more sort of pessimistic way to respond to what's going on. But the more optimistic way is to sort of put your big girl pants on, as Nikki Bush says, and then like get out there and, and do something. And that would be start a business or get involved in changing the system. But these trends do start to clash quite quickly. Because if you are an ambitious young person that doesn't want to lie down flats or have a minimal life, doesn't want to sort of lean into negative sustainability or kind of a holding pattern, as I'm calling it, and wants to be more positive and more expansive and take advantage of opportunity, 
you actually can't scale your own dreams unless you're able to get other people to buy into them. And when you kind of have a split across society of people that want to build and people that want to opt out, that becomes a very big friction point. Like who, who's going to kind of win out? Where does the ambitious person get his workforce from if nobody wants to work? And at the same time, who continues looking after the sort of lying down flat generation who do tend to be young people, who even if they are coming from sort of unpleasant socioeconomic strata, they still have some sort of a support network around them, generally other family members that are literally feeding them and putting roofs over their heads. So what happens to that generation when their parents go away? And we start to see this with our sort of pagoda-shaped population pyramids, as I'm calling them. They're not pyramids anymore, they're pagodas, where the sort of the bottom is all caved out and you've got a lot more old people than you have young people. And what happens then? That becomes like a, a very unstable future to move into. And that again can enhance that crisis response of getting more people to just be paralyzed with fear and sort of inertia and other people to once again be even stronger and to go out there and be builders and makers and all the rest of it. And that, of course, looking further ahead, only tends to increase inequality, which is once again destabilizing everything that we're seeing. So we have this sort of Matthew effect playing out on a large, large scale, both geographically speaking and across different income strata. We see winners winning bigger and bigger and losers losing harder and harder. And the resentment is really growing there. And it's, it's going to be quite interesting to see over the next few months on what side that sort of scale tips, if we are able to be positive together or if negativity is going to sort of win through. And I think that we are at quite a watershed time right now. And we really have to think very carefully about that. And it comes back to that point of agency that I was speaking about, mm. that if you give your agency away to someone else, if you opt into lying flat and opting out of society, then you effect effectively deferring your agency to someone else. You're not actually participating in the program going forward. Whereas if you're claiming that agency for yourself, it becomes a very exciting time to look at building something new. I don't even want to use the word rebuilding. It's like, I think that's bad. I think it's more of a case of building on and adding something to the direction that we're heading in. This whole concept of sort of lying flat is almost like lying on a raft, on a, on a river that's flowing in a particular direction. You might think that because you're not actually paddling the boat, it's not your responsibility, but you're still going to end up where the people who have tilted the boat in that direction have pointed it. So it's quite important to get us sort of back on our surfboards or sort of back to work in some, in some way. This whole concept of the great resignation is, is great. But, but then what? What comes next? What, what is the end point? And if it's entrepreneurship, that's great, but that's going to need a lot of people working together. Otherwise, entrepreneurship becomes self-employment, which can be, again, quite lonely trend. And that's also something that's leading into, as you said, the mental health crisis, the loneliness of freelance work, where you have the stress of the insecurity of not having a paycheck, but also none of the social support that comes from working with the team is also something that's wearing on a lot of our people. And we certainly know from our research at Flux that a lot of millennials, or they've been kind of branded as a sort of freelance generation, actually don't want to be freelancers. They'd much prefer the security of a job, but it has to be a job that offers meaning too. So it's not an easy problem to solve. It's very complicated. Lots mm. of messy trends all intersecting right now. Yeah, and it's not like people um, freelance and don't have a day job like you know people are doing things working over the weekends grinding those extra hours and it's it's natural I mean we see a lot of consortiums also becoming part and, and having like your, your own community of hubs of heavyweights and working on the demands of the client but one of my clients come from from a very big corporate environment and she says the mass exit is 
insane that's currently happening within our corporate world here in South Africa and it's talent. It's people with serious talent leaving and fill, filling that void is also becoming a massive challenge for organizations. And, and, and I think this is where things become, you know, smoke and mirrors. It's like, yes, it's, you know, it's there, but we have to get to the root cause of why these things are happening. We no longer have subcultures. We in front of a screen the whole time. How are we rewriting history? Um, this is our new renaissance, our new revolution. So how are we going to change the way that cultures operate? Because I don't know if you recall a few years ago, I think 2019, when we were talking about the trends that's about to happen, we have this massive black swan event that happens and it's just exposed the trajectory that we've predicted all along. And what we've always seen is faux transformations and organizations not looking after their cultures, their ecosystems, always money, money, money. Those, all of those things have not gone away. In fact, it's actually put more pressure on people than before. Um, I've heard of some companies that actually are making more money now because they don't have to keep the canteen open. They don't have to, to, to worry about, you know, keeping the office, office open. They let their leases go. Um, they're saving so much money in terms of reimbursements of expenses. So it's a, it's a very complex um, topic. It's not an easy one to understand, but I do think in my view, we really need transformational leaders more than ever before. I'm an advocate for the youth. I'm very concerned about them. I love spending time with them. And, you know, over 40% unemployment rates, over 70% of them are representing the youth. They are resilient, but we just need to find ways of rehabilitating them first before we bring them into the workforce. Because I think there's, this is where this misconception is. It's like your psychological resilience, uh, mental health issues. You can't do critical thinking strategy and apply your mind when you have anxiety all the time. So there's so many different things and culture shifts that we need to see. Are you seeing those things in your trends? Yeah, again, we can look at this great resignation thing. It's like there's a question first of why people are leaving, but the, also, the other question is where they are heading to. And again, this comes back to this concept of sort of winners taking all, because the other thing that's happened over the last few years is that from a geographic perspective, the job market has become quite decentralized. In other words, you can work for international companies without leaving your house, without having to uproot and immigrate. But that also means that the biggest companies in the world are able to poach the talent of all other countries in the world and pay them a better salary, which means that if you are a small business or even a slightly larger business, you can only attract talent that you can afford on a global scale. And that becomes very, very difficult for all but the biggest businesses to play in in that space too. It's also very good for the best workers in the world because they get to now earn the highest salaries in the world without having to move anywhere. So it's great for top talents and for really, really big businesses. But it also means that smaller businesses and that people that aren't perhaps on the, the very skinny tail end of the bell curve in terms of excellence and experience in their careers, and that, in other words, most of us suddenly find ourselves working in, almost all of us working in these rock star careers. And previously, up until quite recently, you had rock star careers and you kind of had normal careers. And a rock star career is a career that involves a lot of luck. And also it's a career where the greatest rewards accrue to the sort of smallest 
tail end of the profession. Of course, literal rock stars and movie stars and sports stars are the classic example there. Most sports players will never earn a cent from kicking a soccer ball, but the top earners will earn eye-watering amounts of money, right? Whereas in the corporate sphere, even if we want to complain about the differential between CEOs and people that work in the mailroom, that differential is still a lot smaller than differential between the sort of the waitress actress sort of living in a homeless encampment in San Francisco compared to like Hollywood elites, right? But what we're seeing with this sort of distribution, this global distribution of all careers, is that more and more careers are finding themselves with that higher and higher differential. So although we've spoken about the great resignation, the other trend we started seeing was the sort of double timing on your boss, which is a really interesting <laughs> concept. This is where very capable employees, in other words, your best employees, because they are more employable, that's how it works, it's very unfair, are able to take on two salary jobs because now they're working from home. So your boss can't see that you're kind of doing this thing for this company and doing that for them, but even running three jobs at a time, collecting three salaries. But of course, that means somewhere else, somebody else doesn't get that job, right? So the best rewards are accruing in fewer and fewer hands with these systems. And that's making us think again about what the contract is between companies and employees. And this mm. is perhaps the biggest trend that we haven't got into yet, but we're going to see going forward. And that's this concept of rewriting the, the contract between security and between freedom when it comes to working relationships. So now we talk, tend to think about salaried work and a lot of us have come from the sort of the, the post sort of neoliberal era and we tend to be quite anti-capitalist in the way we view things, at least like our general generation. I'm talking very broadly here. This idea that companies exploit workers and workers are good and companies are bad. But we have to understand there's, that there was a trade there, right? And it was a trade that actually suited a lot of people. Most people might have worked in salary jobs. They might not have been the most exciting career that they wanted to do when they were a small child. But what they did when they sort of signed away the best, most productive years of their life for a company in exchange for a salary is that they got a large degree of security with that. Working for a business gave you security. You knew that you could take out a bond or get into the property market. You knew what school you could send your kids to because you knew when that cash was coming in and how much it would be. And yes, your sort of expectations for salary increases might have been around sort of 5 to 10% a year, which is not that exciting. But you got a lot of security in exchange for the freedom you gave up in terms of the time that you could spend doing your with your day. You would give up those eight hours of your day. You would give up your freedom to choose how to structure your day, but you got that security. And what's sort of been breaking down since around about 2008, the crisis actually, is that we've seen the lifespan of companies shrink and the security that companies are able to offer in exchange for the freedom that workers have to give up has tilted quite a lot on the scale, right? Mm. So you don't get as much security. You're not sure the company you work for is going to be around in five years. Again, to come back to the sort of millennial generation that a lot of the myths sort of say millennials job hop a lot. But it turns out millennials actually stay in jobs about the same amount of time as previous generations and they would stay longer, but they can't because companies go bust or because contracts come to an end. So you've got this sort of precarity creeping in. And that means that, 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 again, employees are more tempted to sort of cheat on their bosses by taking on another job, which is cheating. Because if you've signed a salary agreement, you've agreed to give your undivided time to your company. You've been paid for your time. You're not being paid for the task. But and now I have to, to inter with- interject there. This is now if it's a fair timeline. Like what we are seeing is that you are contacted by WhatsApp groups. No, wait, we'll get at there. Four o'clock we'll get in there. the morning. We'll get there. 
no, we'll get there because that was the agreement. So you gave up a certain amount of time, you got a certain amount of cash in exchange. Mm. But now we sort of moved into remote work and into digital and those boundaries become blurred. So you're not being watched quite as closely, which means you have a bit more freedom. Remote work and digital work does mean we get more freedom back. But in exchange, we're still sort of trying to expect the same degree of security. So companies that are kind of looking for to say, oh, wait a minute, why am I paying you to to do a job if someone else is paying you for that time too? I want to monitor you. So then you start getting into sort of in-home surveillance, which means that the freedom that you got from working from home kind of gets taken away by more control, but not mm. digital control. And all of these sort of cracks that you speak about, including bosses trying to claw back some of the work because now you're sort of juggling your time with your kids that used to be focused on the task. Now it sort of bleeds into the evenings, you said, onto WhatsApps and onto all the rest of it's all of that very nicely defined contract is broken down and it's been it's been broken down by both ends of the scale which i think is an important point to make employees are taking the gap because humans are humans and life happens and like when you're working from home you do have more distractions this is a fact and there are temptations if you're very good to just quickly do something else when you know you really should be actually watching whatever you're supposed to be watching that you've been paid to watch but companies are also breaking that contract because they're no longer providing the same amount of security because their whole business environment is less secure. And they're also sort of pulling back into the sort of freedom component too in terms of surveillance, in terms of not sticking to neat working hours. And this is not working for anyone. The great resignation is a symptom of this. People mm-hmm. starting up freelancing and trying to start small businesses are getting symptomatic of that. But what it really comes down to is that this contract has been broken on both sides. It's no longer sustainable. So the big shift we see now is towards instead of time-based contracts, so we're giving up time in exchange for financial security, are sort of moving towards more outcomes-based contracts. That does mean more things like freelance work. It means being managed on what you do, not on where you are or how you have been. This is another sort of contract and it works better for a certain type of person. But it's also worth noting a lot of sort of people that are into freedom and personal responsibility and sort of, you know, I can, I want want more independence are quite happy with this move towards more outcomes based trades where I will not pay you for eight hours of your time a day. Rather, I will pay you to respond to 80 emails or to answer phones, this many phone calls or to make this amount of sales or to build this piece of code. That's a fair trade again, just like the original contract was fair, even if it wasn't something you liked. It's another fair contract, but it's a contract that again doesn't suit people that are looking for security. And economists have done studies on this. There's a reason why salaried work became the norm in the 20th century. And that's because most people actually do value security more than they value freedom in reality. You know, thought leaders, people like myself tend to think otherwise, but that's not actually what everybody else works. So when we move forward into this new world where things are tilting and the pendulum is swinging towards outcomes-based compensation, outcomes instead of incomes is a sort of little catchphrase if you want to put it there, that's going to suit some people. It's going to suit the independently minded and people that have a higher risk tolerance, but it does mean that a lot of other people find themselves in a more precarious place and the sort of the the nth degree of this trend, if you want to kind of look a bit mm. further forward into the future, is what's happening again with sort of Web3, and I hate using those terms dramatically, but everybody's talking about that now, so we have to use the language that is of our era, is how what Web3 is really doing is it's micro-monetizing everything. So instead of having to persuade one job boss to give you one job that gives you financial security, in the world of Web3, which is a great metaphor for where we headed there, what Web3 ethos is really about, 
you have to continually earn your place in society by completing small tasks, whether that's by signing up many Substack subscribers for a small amount of money, or whether that is micro-monetizing sort of tasks and being paid by the minute, never mind being paid by the hour. It's like a constant hustle mindset, which is quite exhausting. And that's where the next mental health crisis is going to come from. The distributed, decentralized, micro-monetized, sort of you're so empowered web of the future is also a world where we all being pushed onto a treadmill and more and more things are going to be commoditized. So we shouldn't be celebrating our sort of freedom from the office entirely. We should be thinking about what we're giving up in exchange. And there's always a trade-off. I am an economist. There's no, there's no free lunches in this world. There's only different trades and different offers and we need to think quite carefully about what sort of offers we want to embrace going forwards yeah i mean it's pretty much a dystopian world let's just face it i mean that whole idea of utopia even as an archetype innocent child that will no longer exist for me in my world but anyway um i i do agree with you um but also I do challenge the idea where I disagree in terms of not with, with you, but the whole idea of outcomes, because when there's a lot of stakeholders and you do your stakeholder analysis and you have so many people that have to yeah. make a decision for you to actually do that, that job to get to your outcome, mm -hmm. that is going to actually be far more severe because I mean, I, I, I work with a lot of clients and specifically um, corporates. And I, I do find, especially in the type of work that we do, is that we are so reliant on so many people. And where we said we're going to do this three months ago, we're still sitting on um, six months in now, and we haven't even started on the project. So I do see that almost as being counterproductive. I think that it will yeah. break down your confidence completely. And yeah, the mental health, I agree with, because I, I, I'm just trying to imagine that world. But the point, the, the, the sort of key point there is that the organizations that we have currently are set up still for the incomes, time-based trade. The mm. organizations that are emerging now are more decentralized, like your DAOs and all the rest of it. They are designed around this concept of outcomes, not around incomes. And this outcomes DAO world that we're moving towards, that the trend is towards at the moment, it's not everywhere yet, but it is trending in that direction, is a world where there is more, you're forced to have more responsibility and you're forced to participate more on a more outcomes basis. Again, that suits certain types of personalities, like your more libertarian souls, very well. Whereas the world we had before actually suited more sort of conservative people. I don't say conservative in terms of the political alignment, more just in terms of people that actually don't want to be that involved with decision-making on an organizational basis all the time. Yeah, but you know, you know how corporates are not just going to take this to time-based jobs. You know no, that this no. is going to be extended in every silo that's possible. But I mean, Correct. I think... We see the surveillance ramping up. Ramping. Says, these, none of these trends points in one. There's always a dual direction here. There's always, a, for every trend, there's an equal and opposite trend. But those are the sort of worldviews that are clashing at the moment. And we have to redesign that social contract at a macro scale and also that commercial contract and that relationship. What is the relationship between employees and employers? And that's that is the challenge, and that has not yet been redefined. The ideas on the table are the old post-industrial 20th century income-based trade, and the new ones are this DAO treadmill, this outcomes-based treadmill, where every it's pure meritocracy, which we know meritocracy has some good things and some bad things. 
So kind of those are the worldviews on offer. If you don't like them, my challenge is put something else on the table. <laughs> well, what contract can you offer? This explains why the whole world searched for affirmations last year on Google. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to try and, and stabilize and balance chill. their mindsets and just chill. <laughs> but um, exactly. But um, I, I do think that I do think that we are all, you know, the captains of our own destiny, and I do think that we have the power to make in the right decisions. That is up to us to inform ourselves correctly. Um, I, I feel that a lot of people are consuming a lot of garbage, garbage in, garbage out, and it is important this time. I mean, you're a avid reader. I have never seen somebody that reads so many books. I cannot keep up with you. I don't even know some of these books existed. Um, but I mean, that's another fascinating thing about you is, is like you fill your mind with so many perspectives. And I think this is where, um, you know, any advice for anybody listening to this podcast is if you want to create a, a future that you can see yourself in, then you need to really understand all assets, perspectives, and have boundaries and, 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 and what you will do and can't do, root causes, and understand the importance of not just leading yourself, but leading others um, in, in this time that yeah. we're going into. But Jesse Brown, I wish we had more time to talk, but... No, I've got to go. I know, you've got to <laughs> go. Yes, I'm going to go. <laughs> We've all got to go. The leadership vacuum is a good point to land on. It's it's a huge, open, very uncompetitive space to play in. If to actually step up and lead and put a new idea on the table, there's not a lot of people that are doing that. Exactly, Ron. It was awesome having you. You are a delight. Thanks, I can't Simon. wait to talk to you about once we get to to that hectic stage of being on the treadmill, running to a place of no destination anyway <laughs> it was lovely talking to you and you just, and good luck with this year bye-bye now you too you too bye you've been listening to the carmen murray show another solid gold podcast please take a moment to rate and share this episode with friends and colleagues who love customer experience and marketing just as much as you do to connect with Carmen, visit CarmenMurray.com, where you will find links to her business services, future fit events, and biz community articles. Carmen Murray is CEO of Uya Modern Marketing Services that empower businesses to deliver premium customer experiences, B2B, B2C, and B2B2C across all industries. Some of these services include research, CX Strategy, Persona Development and Customer Journey Mapping, CX Audits, UX Audits, and the Connected Marketer Training in Connected Customer Experiences, Mobile, Data Management, and AI. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.